Well, good morning, all of our campuses, all of you watching online. Glad you're with us, all of us here at Frisco East. How are we feeling today? Feeling good? Man, I'm glad to see you. Uh, redacted, our series, if you've not been with us, we've been uh, talking about some, uh, maybe some difficult uh, passages, some uh, challenging passages. Week one in this series we talked about, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Week two, we talked about, are we living in the last days? Last week, we talked about Blaine did a great job. You know, have I gone too far to be forgiven of God? And today, as you know, most of you, um, it's a Q&A day. So um, over the last four weeks, you've sent in questions. And listen, this time, I had a, about 100 questions, and all of them were really good, really thoughtful uh, questions that, that I'm not going to have time to get to today. So some of you that sent in questions, you sent in questions last time, and I didn't get to that one, and you're like, I'm not doing this again, because he never answers my questions, and you're going to be in a bad mood by the time this is over, because I didn't answer your question. So, because I, I'm a people pleaser, I, I, we're going to do a podcast in the summer, and I'm going to answer all the questions, okay? We're going to just go through question by question. So there's no question that I was like trying to stay away from, you know, or uh, I was like, oh, I'm not answering that, because... Uh, and, and there may, may be a question I don't have the answer to, uh, and maybe you don't either. Um, we'll just call those, you know, as a secret, and we don't know until we get to heaven. Um, but, but today, going to tackle some doozies, okay? I, I, we did not shy away from, from some doozies. And uh, before I dive into that, I, I just want to say a few things up front. Over the last year, COVID season, um, like over a year now, can you believe it? It's like, man, crazy season. One of the things that I think, I hope that we have learned and that as believers here at Hope, I, I don't have any say into other churches or other Christians necessarily, but, but with Hope, I hope that you um, have at least a, a little bit of trust in, in, in my perspective and teaching and so forth. But I feel like over the last year, I hope that we've learned to have conversations in a better way. Last year was the perfect storm of COVID, political, racial, and then you add any other kind of tension in there. It was a, it was a year of tension. And as believers, um, we're, not, uh, we're not free from tension. We're going to have tension. We have tension in our marriages. We have tension in our relationships. We have tension at our workplace. I mean, those things are not things we shy away from. Uh, we just hopefully need to learn to be more kind and to have conversations with somebody that we disagree with without hating them. And politically speaking, whether you're on the left or the right or in the middle or wherever, man, the, I'm not just talking about hope here. I'm just talking about in general, the, the body of Christ was disappointing. And, and I think we struggled with really being the light that God called us to be and, uh, and so I want to encourage us today, as we tackle some questions, there may be things that you disagree with me, I may disagree with you, we can have that conversation and, and just kind of go, eh, you know what, I agree to disagree, but we can have that conversation in a spirit of love and in a spirit of grace and a spirit of preferring one another. And you know what, if you disagree with me, you can be wrong. It's okay for you to be wrong. Totally. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding, and you know I love you. Um, so I, I felt like I wanted to say that, not because of what we're talking about necessarily, but I think in general, I think we need to learn 
need to learn as Christians how to behave on social media. And we need, as Christians, need to learn to behave with people that we disagree with or that they disagree with us. Make sense? So it doesn't mean we can't have an opinion. doesn't mean that we can't state our opinion. But we do that in love rather than in hatred and one-liners that, that hurt people and so forth. So anyway, uh, that's that. And uh, Brock Yonke, our care pastor, who is in charge of uh, all things care, which would include regeneration, our recovery ministry, re-engage, our marriage ministry, counseling, benevolence, funerals, weddings, care and hospitals, all that. He's, he's over all of that. And he is a, a really, really great theologian as well. And I've asked Brock to come help me moderate. He's going to help me. Oh, there he is. Right I, snuck, there. I snuck out. I snuck in, <laughs> which scared me. Sorry. The shine uh, from the head. <laughs> Glare. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. It worked. <laughs> so, so we're going to... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going to have uh, some conversations here. We're going to tackle some, uh, some very um, uh, serious, uh, questions. And so, man, take it away, buddy. Okay. All right. Um, one of the things that I've appreciated, cause I've, I've worked with John now for 11 years, which is crazy how time flies. But one yeah. of the things I've really appreciated about John is there's this for the church or this high regard. We believe that the scripture and John really, uh, triumphs this, that the scripture is God's word. It's just, it's, it's something that's given to guys. And so there's this high regard for scripture but also the beautiful thing about working here is there's also a high regard for loving people. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. And so I think John's always kind of living in that tension. And so I think all these questions are answered that way today. So I just Hopefully. appreciate that heart that you've you, given man. us here for our Thank staff. You. All right, John, we're going to start off with a really tough question. Is that okay? Sure. All right, here we go. I've seen John mention a Colorado Springs campus, or no, not Colorado Springs, but a Colorado campus for Hope Fellowship in the past. Is that real? So that's a real tough one to get started. Is there really coming a Colorado campus for Hope Fellowship? You know, I, I have teased about this in my opening. I'll say, hey, welcome all our campuses into our campus in Colorado, you know, that kind of thing. I, I'm totally teasing because I love Colorado, ride my motorcycle through there all the time. So uh, no, the answer to that is no, that is not real. We've actually had people in Colorado email me and asking, hey, where is that campus located? <laughs> we are trying to find, we want to be a part of this, we're in. And I'm like, oh man, I was teasing, you know, and it was kind of a bummer, you know, but I wish it was real, uh, but maybe someday, who knows? Yeah. And I'd like to volunteer right now to be the campus pastor of that particular <laughs> congregation. Good. All right. <laughs> I thought that was a little dig there. Did, you, did anyone else feel the dig there? That was like, I said good. I know, but it felt like a dig good. <laughs> All right. Number two question, what type of preaching is biblically accurate, expository or topical, and help us understand what those terms even mean? Uh, okay, I'll try to be quick here. Uh, expository preaching or teaching is, you know, more of a verse-by-verse, book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter kind of teaching. Um, really, really good, really fun teaching. You go through books of the Bible and there's a ton of churches that, that really adhere to an expository. We're going to go line by line. We're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And, and uh, you know, I like that. There, the topical is uh, taking a subject, whether that be marriage or greed or, you know, some kind of thing that the Bible talks about, and we support that with passages that in context support uh, whatever that subject is. I think both are accurate. I think both are fine. I think my irritation in sometimes this question is if you are thinking that your way is the only way, 
right? And then if you think expository, that's the true way, and that is the most spiritual way, well, then you wouldn't send under Jesus' teaching because Jesus never taught expository. Jesus didn't take Isaiah and go line by line through the scroll of Isaiah or, or the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. He, he did not go line by line, verse by verse. He did more of a topical thing. He told stories, and it was awesome. Expository is awesome. I mean, going, what's wrong with going verse by verse and, and learning the Word of God? And so I think both are accurate, and I think it's really, really sad if you are staunch on either way, okay? First of all, say that. Second is you're going to get both here at Hope. You're going to get expository in many of our Bible studies and classes and so forth. We offer books of the Bible and study of, the, of books and verses and so forth. You're going to get that as well as topical. Usually, uh, if we do expository in the weekend, it's usually chapter, not verse by verse. And we do books of the Bible, and we also do topical as well. So I think, I think uh, man, relax uh, about this because some on either side are like really passionate. It's like it, 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 both are good. So it's really just a question of style. I, it's not I, really I agree. A biblical idea. It's just yeah. kind of here's some style. I, I agree. It's a style. Okay. All right, John. If Jesus was crucified on Friday and rose on Sunday, please explain how it is three days versus two. Okay. So the easy way to answer that, from in my mind, is um, they're not like 24-hour days uh, or 72 hours for the three days. They're more like representative of Friday. Thursday and Friday, Thursday night, Jesus arrested, uh, taken before the religious leaders to be uh, tried, and then taken before Pontius Pilate to be tried, and then flogged, and then crucified. All that was that was Friday, and then Saturday in the tomb, and then Sunday rose from the grave. So Friday being a day, Saturday being a day, Sunday being a day. That's where we get the three days. Okay. So my wife's a teacher, and yeah. on Good Friday a few weeks ago, the students asked her. Why in the world is it called Good Friday when Jesus dies on this day? So why is it called Good Friday versus just Bad Friday? Yeah, yeah, a good question. Good, uh, what'd you say? Versus Bad Friday, because it's a bad day for Jesus. Well, it was a bad day for Jesus, but it was a great day for us. Yeah. And his sacrifice on that cross was good for us. Now, the word really is holy. Like a holy Friday. It's like a holy Friday yeah. in which we remember, and we have Good Friday services here, powerful. Um, we remember the death. We remember the price that Jesus paid. Um, but, but it is good for us. Bad for him, but good for us. But it also points us to what is also ultimately good in that he rose from the dead. Yeah. Or ro rose from the grave. And that's great news for us because in our death, in our sin, because of what Jesus did, we rise from our sin into life and into life eternal. So that's what I would say to that one. All right, I'm going to go off script a little bit okay. here and ask you just a question out of the blue here. Great. Uh, one that I came up with. I know you guys submitted some questions. I came up with one of my own. Uh, John, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any idea. Okay. And I don't care. <clears throat> honestly, honestly, I really have no, uh, you, know, the, you know, the study of aliens or UFOs, I have no, I have zero interest. And I know some of you, I mean, that is a fascinating thing. And I love Star Wars and stuff like that. I was going to say, as a Star Wars fan, I'm a little wounded right no, now. No, 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 no. Don't be wounded. <laughs> okay, don't be all wounded. Right, all right. Uh, I just don't, I, I don't care. You know, if they're there, they're there. Uh, it doesn't change my relationship with God. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Good. Yeah, uh, here was a tough one. 
What are Hope's thoughts on women teaching, leading at church, and having the title of pastor? This question gets asked frequently uh, in the church world. Yeah, especially, <clears throat> I would say in the last 20 years, uh, the resurgence of, of kind of reformed theolo uh, uh, theology and, and young guys that are really passionate about this is the way it should be and, and women should not be teaching. And there's, there's great scripture for that. And, and I think that, um, uh, like you have come to the conclusion, you've written a position paper. Um, I, I just think it's very important to understand that there are different ways to look at this particular thing. And I'm going to explain that in a minute, as well as I'm going to ask you your opinion. And you've, uh, like I've said, you've studied this. And it's important to know that even if I disagree with someone, uh, to be kind about it. There was a pastor in California, I won't mention his name, John MacArthur, but he, <laughs> he and I say, that, I say that just only because, and I respect him, and, and he's a really brilliant guy, but he talked about Beth Moore in a way in a, in a recent conference that was, Beth Moore needs to go home, and she has no business teaching and so forth, and it was like, that, okay, you know what, out of bounds here. Um, I, I just think if you disagree with what we're going to say, okay, that's fine, but but there's another way to look at this, and I think we're going to make a case for that. So, Brock, yeah. take it away, would you? So it's interesting. Uh, there was a guy in the 1700s named John Wesley, and John Wesley kind of prescribed this way to looking at controversial issues, and so I'll kind of walk through that line of reasoning. But John and I kind of grew up in similar traditions where uh, it was not a big deal. It was not even talked about that women should not be teaching or having authority in the church. Like, there was a lot of uh, women pastors that I worked with when I went to college. I had women professors that knew way more than I did. Um, I grew up in a, in a home where my sister was way more intelligent than I am. She's a medical doctor now. And that was really fun in, in, in high school because I'd go into, she's a, you know, science was her, her forte. And so I'd go into these biology classes and they'd say, oh, you're Lavelle's little brother. That's so exciting. And a couple weeks later, like, really? Are you Lavelle's little brother? And so it was really <laughs> humiliating. So I've still got a little pain I'm working through from my sister. Yeah. Um, and then my, my wife knows way more about stuff that's going on in the world than I uh, could ever. And so my experience has been that why wouldn't I learn from someone that knows more than I do about particular okay. things? And why would there be any limitation? And so I came along and I heard about people kind of having a difficulty with women uh, teaching in the church. And there's a couple passages, we'll throw them up here. We don't have the, they're just kind of, if you want to look up those references. And these passages are pretty clear in scripture that it's saying that women in the church should have a submissive role to men, that men should be the teachers. And so I read these and that was really difficult for me to hear because my whole life had been this other experience. Right. And so, but at the same time, when I was taught uh, about being a good student of the Bible, I was taught this idea that you don't just grab a passage and pull it out and make it all the doctrine, that it's got to be supported all throughout Scripture. And so I started really kind of digging into Scripture a little bit and said, okay, this, this, these aren't landing super well with me, but they're still the Scripture, and I've got to hold on to these Absolutely. things. These are, these are this part of the Bible. And so as I started looking at the, at, the, at the Bible in the Old Testament, there's the idea that Deborah was one of the judges. She was called a prophetess. Esther delivered her people. Uh, Hannah's prayer is one of the most famous prayers in all the Bible. We talk about Ruth. Rahab helped Jericho be delivered to the Israelites. Yeah. And then we look at Jesus' time. Who was the, the person that was foretold of Jesus' coming? There was a prophetess named Anna. Yeah. Uh, throughout Jesus' whole ministry, women were very involved in his ministry. After Jesus, when the church was being established, there's women that are just names all throughout the, the book of Acts, and one of them is Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla, oftentimes in old writings, they would put down the name of the main teacher first, and Priscilla's listed first. Right. And then even Paul writes about a lady that he calls her an outstanding apostle. Yeah. And so taking my experience, taking all the biblical narrative, 
and then kind of looking at this, the reason of even what Jesus did in Galatians, Paul says there's neither <laughs> Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And so there's this idea that all people now, because of what Jesus did, are all seen equally in the eyes of God, every single human being. And one of my favorite concepts is from Genesis. Uh, the Latin term for it is imago Dei, yeah. which simply means created in the image of God. And so all human beings, every single person was created in God's image. And so from all that stuff that surrounds the biblical narrative of my experience, I come to the conclusion that I don't see any reason why any human being called by God can't be preaching, can't be teaching, can't have any title they want in the church. And okay. so that's where I've kind of landed because of that entire biblical narrative and my experience. Yeah. So I think another way to answer this question, because these are very specific uh, in Corinth, Paul dealing with a, a, a tremendous, the whole book really, he's dealing with tremendous problems yeah. and he's correcting. In Ephesus, uh, when he writes to Timothy, as he pastors that church, dealing with problems, dealing with a, a certain problem. Let me, let me help you understand the context of how I look at this and biblical interpretations, I call them buckets. So buckets of biblical interpretation for the New Testament especially. I'll list them on the screen here. There's doctrine, there's there, uh, the doctrine bucket where we derive our, our statement of faith, what we believe about God, what we believe about uh, Jesus, what we believe about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about his church and the resurrection and so forth. Doctrinal uh, uh, buckets, cultural issues. Um, for instance, <clears throat> there are some cultural things that we read in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, even in, in the Gospels, that we go... Uh, okay, well, that must have been the first century. One of them, uh, Paul says, a woman should not pray without having her head covered. So, um, you know, unless you have a, a, a covering for your head, like a cloth that you put over your head. How many brought the, what, ladies, did you bring that with you this morning? Yeah, no. We don't do that. It, it was a custom in the first century. Uh, Paul talks about man and having long hair, that it's a disgrace for man to men to have long hair. Oh, that's, I thought it said it's a disgrace for men to have hair. That's, that's the problem. I've been misreading that scripture for years. That's why I chose this route. <clears throat> uh, yeah, well, no, yeah. that's not right. Okay, all right, all right. Just a thought. Uh, Paul talks to Timothy and he says, hey, women should not braid their hair. They should not wear jewelry, gold, pearls. Uh, you know, those are cultural issues that we look at and we kind of go, okay, we can learn from that and go, okay, he's speaking to that culture, right? And the context there. Um, polity issues, those are issues of church governance. So, um, in other words, how do we run the church? This is, how do I run a church service? Paul even says this in, in uh, one of the passages that we're talking about. He says, this is how I run it, right? This is how I do it, and if you disagree, you have to take it up with God, because this is the way. And actually, in that passage in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul lists some things that he says, here, this is how, this should be in your worship service, and we don't hardly do any of those today. So I think that in, I'm answering the question, whether, whether it's polity issues, sin issues, they're just non-negotiables that, that thread throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that, are, that, that are, they're kind of black and white. They're non-negotiable sexual issues, sexual sin, greed, pride, gossip, any of those kinds of things that are listed as sin, those are, those are non-negotiable, and I call them the sin bucket. Uh, wise living, where Paul uses the term, he says, now listen, there are maybe things that you can do, but they're not really beneficial for you. 
actually are kind of bad for you, well, the wiser thing to do is not do those things, right? And that's what he's getting at, wise living, and then historical and prophetic. Uh, historical, the Gospels, uh, the book of Acts, uh, prophetic, Revelation, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 15. Those are buckets that I look at. Now, these are layman terms. I didn't look this up in a theological book. These are just what I look at. And, and, and for me, I want to make it clear what I'm saying, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but for me and for Hope Fellowship, for years and years, we have had women on our staff. They have been held, hold the title pastor. And I'll be honest with you, we are better for it. We are better for their leadership. We're better for their teaching. And, and, and today, even as, look at, as I look at Priscilla Schreier, I don't know if you've ever heard of Priscilla Schreier or somebody like, I mean, how could, how could I not benefit? And the cultural issue as well in the first century is that women were not in, involved in any kind of education, both Gentile and Jew. Jewish boys went to school. Gentile boys went to school. Women in either one did not go to school. Was, there was no education. So part of that is an educational culture that Paul's addressing as well. So anyway, I do think there's specific corrections for that culture and that context. I, don't put, the, I put them in that bucket. So I think that by and large, by what you said, I agree. We, we wholeheartedly, next week, Lisa Harper is speaking on Mother's Day. She is an awesome teacher, and we're all going to learn. I don't care if you're 55 years old and a man like I am, you're going to learn from her. And if you don't, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. You're missing out because it's a blessing. And they, all our team here across all of our campuses, our lady pastors, shout out to all of them. I love you guys, and thank you for your service. Thank you for your leadership and your heart. I love it. I love okay. it. So that's how, that's how we would stand, answer that question. Okay. All right, John, this next question is, can you be gay and be a Christian? Okay, this is another one that, that comes up quite a bit, and I'll be honest with you, um, I would rather have this conversation across the table from someone, you know, eating lunch or having coffee or whatever, um, because, because it's emotionally charged, it's relationally charged, there's all kinds of things with it. Um, and, and, I, and I think that it's so important as believers, when we talk about uh, people and sin issues, can I be gay and be a Christian, or, or can I struggle with pornography and be a Christian? Can I lie every once in a while and be a Christian? Can I gossip every once in a while and be a Christian? How many understand what I'm saying? That, that there are many things that we struggle with as Christians, and we call ourselves Christians, and so I think it's important for us to put this in context. So let me help do that, and I will be very clear because I really do think on this issue, clarity is kind. You may disagree with what I say, you may not like what I say. That's totally, I, I will love you no matter what. I promise you I will. I may not agree with you. You may not agree with me. But I think it's so important that we approach the table uh, with love. And that is, uh, that's what covers a multitude of sins, it, relationally speaking, in that instance. So um, I want to tell a story of Jesus and the adulterous woman. A lot of you know the story. Uh, the context of this story is you have the religious leaders, you have a woman who has been caught in, in the middle of adultery, and you have Jesus. 
Now, there's a crowd, but they're insignificant necessarily to the context of this story. All of the people in this story are Jewish. So, they are a part of this Jewish family that has a set of rules that they know and go by. The religious leaders bring this lady who is caught in the middle of adultery, and they bring her to Jesus while he's teaching in the synagogue. Jesus stops, and they say they have stones in their hands. This is not a parable, by the way. This is a true story. They have stones in their hands, and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the middle of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Jesus was constantly found in the middle of of a uh, challenging situation. On the one side, you have the religious leaders who were right. They were holding to the law, and they said, this is what the law says, and they, it really, they wanted to trick Jesus. They weren't interested in really what he had to say. They wanted to trick Jesus and, you know, make him say something that they could, uh, you know, get him for. So Jesus looks up at them and he says, yes, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, the, the stones were dropped and the men, the religious leaders went away. So in this story, we find Jesus correcting those who would come down hard on somebody for a sin. How many know that it's easy, so easy, to point out somebody else's sin, but not talk about our sin? How many find that easy? Some of you, you know, for instance, you know, maybe I'll talk about pride, and you, you have a husband that is very prideful, very prideful. And, and you're just like, oh, in your mind, you're going, I'm, thank God that John is talking about pride today because my husband is a prideful person and he needs to be humble, you know, whatever. Okay, now, I know that wouldn't happen here, but at First Baptist down the road, it happens all the time. <laughs> I get okay, let's just say that. And then the next week, I talk about something else. I talk about something that you have a problem with and I talk about, uh, you know, not being able to forgive easy right? And you're like, well, if you knew what he did, I, you know, what those things that women kind of do. Yeah, I was going to say right? what they do. <laughs> um, I know those are exaggerations, but do you understand what I'm saying? When, when, I, when I talk about somebody else's sin, you're like, yes. I hope he's listening. Are you listening to this? And then when I talk about our sin or my sin, it's like, ooh, I, I don't want to talk about that. Jesus corrects that. And for those of us, and I think the church has done a poor job at communicating in love what we believe about Scripture. And Jesus is correcting that. He's saying, guys, you, you, know, you want to correct her and, and you want to point out her sin and stone her? Well, you know, what about your sin? And I think it's a very important question. Then he looks at the woman, right? The other side of the story is he looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And I, can't, I can only imagine that this woman is just so humbled, not because of the sin now, but so humbled of, at Jesus' answer, right? That she's just looking up at him like, wow, 
And he says, neither do I condemn you. And that is a statement that everyone in this room who calls themselves a Christ follower has heard from Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, now go and sin no more. He corrects the religious leaders for their attitude and self-righteousness, their hypocrisy even. And then he also corrects the woman who is in sin. He lovingly corrects her, but he says, hey, neither do I condemn you, but we need to deal with this sin. Now, I've studied the scripture on this subject from Old Testament to New Testament. Every single passage that has to do with this subject or something like it, I've looked at, studied. I've looked at conservative theologians. I've looked at liberal theologians' writings. And the only conclusion that I can come up with, and I say this with all love, is that the Bible in all Scripture does not support or affirm that lifestyle. It puts it in a category of of other kinds of sins that we all deal with. So what I don't want to communicate is that, hey, we're going to pick on this one because I don't struggle with it, right? Right. Or you don't struggle with it, but let's talk about our sin. Do it make sense? And so I want to be clear that I believe the Scripture is clear. It doesn't mean I don't love. It doesn't mean that we don't love. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone is. Our our mission is inviting everyone to find Jesus, and that means everyone. That That means your sin and everybody else's sin. Gay, straight, doesn't matter who you are, you're welcome. But I'm also charged by God to preach the Word and teach the Word and do so with all humility and with a generous portion of love. So I would say if you are struggling in that area, can you be a Christian? Yes. You can be a Christian and struggle with a lot of things. Here's the goal, though. We, the second part of our mission is inviting everyone to find Jesus and then helping them move to the center of God's will, his purpose for their lives. So my heart would be that we're all moving. You take your sin and whatever sin that you deal with on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, everybody takes theirs, your sin, and many of them, <laughs> and, and listen, and we move, listen, we move to the center of God's will, all of us, in love, in restoration, in a spirit of humility. And this is, again, where I think we've got it wrong so many times where, you know, it's really easy to pick on somebody's sin, and that's exactly what Jesus corrected. So, clearly stated, there's no support in Scripture anywhere that affirms that lifestyle. However, if, if you struggle or if you are in that lifestyle, number one, I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. I lo- we love you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. We want to help in any way that we can and have that conversation, especially the next generation, because the next generation yeah. has been inundated with this, um, with this struggle, this challenge, and whether it's right or wrong, and I understand, Brock, I understand that there are people who disagree theologically with me, and I, 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 you can believe what you want to believe. I'm just talking about this house. Yeah. I'm talking about us, and um, if you're in the next generation and, and you struggle, we, we want you to know we're on this journey with you. 
the, the suicide rate for this particular thing among young people is so high because they get so much rejection from the church, from parents, so forth. We want to come alongside you on the journey in love and just say, man, we're with you and we understand that this is a journey. And so we want to be a part of that journey and love you and, and all move to the center of God's will. Does that make sense? So that, that's, where, that's where I would land. And, and I think that you said something earlier, like it's, it's easy to kind of stand up on a stage and kind of say some things, but we really prefer conversations. Yeah. And so one of the things I'd like to offer, uh, this is my, up here on the screen will be my, an access to my calendar, and I'm sorry for my crazy last name. Um, if you want to know how to pronounce it, uh, it's Yonkey. So just think donkey and put a Y on it. And so that had no negative ramifications for me in high school at all. So I just wanted to say that right now. <laughs> um, but one of the things I would like to invite you to is just a conversation. I'm not going to try to convince you of my opinion. or We're just going to hear each other, uh, talk through some things. And so if that would be of interest to you, I'd love to meet with you. And there's different options on my calendar. You can meet with a Zoom uh, or come to the church or a phone call, whatever. Uh, and if you're a teenager and you would like to have a conversation because this is, is this something you'd like to talk about, if it's not with me, I can get you connected to someone yeah. to have that conversation. But we just love to not just say something and walk away from it. We want to be involved because we want to love each other. We want to be involved in conversation with each other. And so if that's helpful for you, maybe take a picture of that because you'll never remember how to spell yonky donkey. So. You said it, not me. Okay. All right. Last question, John. Okay. Right. What happens when we die and how should a Christian face death? I think, I think the question really uh, stems from the idea that I talked about a couple weeks ago in Are We Living in the Last Days? <clears throat> And I talked about the resurrection and the transformation, right? The, the rapture, what, what some people call the rapture, I call it a transformation, where our bodies will be turned into bodies that will never die, okay? Immortality, the way Jesus was when he was resurrected. Those who have died, those believers who have died before Jesus comes, so my, my dad a couple months ago passed away, he was a believer, what do I believe about him and where he is? So there's two kind of two rules of thought here. Paul uses the term, those who have fallen asleep. And, and the, he's talking about those who have died. And there has been a, a theory that, that when somebody passes away that's a believer, they fall into a sleep-type situation where they're not in heaven, they're not on earth, but they are just falling asleep until the resurrection. Okay? That's one theory. I I'm not passionate either way. It's not like I, I think it's like, oh man, that's one of those buckets that, you know what, uh, okay, you can look at it that way if you want. Um, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians, uh, I think it's chapter 5, um, he, he talks about, um, yeah, 5, we're fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Uh, another translation is to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I particularly believe that when a Christian passes away, they, their soul, their spirit, so we're made of spirit, soul, body. That's what I uh, get from Scripture, spirit, soul, body. The spirit is the part of us that is the God part of us. The soul is that's the part of us that's being transformed by the spirit as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then we're being transformed, that Greek word metamorpho, where we are like a caterpillar in a cocoon or chrysolite, and we are being transformed. That's our whole lifelong process. And then we are uh, made new, okay? So I, I think that 
that for me, um, man, we, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we're going to be, our spirit and our soul is in heaven when we die. Our bodies are here on earth. They're going to be reunited at the resurrection, okay? They're going to be reunited at the resurrection to have bodies that will never die, just like Jesus. So those of us who are living when Jesus comes, our bodies will be transformed immediately. Those who have died in Christ will, be, will rise from the dead, and their spirit and soul will be united with their body, and they'll become you know, to so, live forever. So really, it's kind of a, an instantaneous thing that we're... Instantaneous thing. Would it, could I say it's like Thanos? Would that be? I have no idea what that is. Mar, Mar, Marvel movies. Sorry about that. I was trying to appeal to that crowd. Okay. How should, we, how should a Christian face death? I had a great conversation. Some of you know Todd Mead, Pastor Todd Mead, who was on our staff for five years. Uh, he... Uh, with Brock, led, started our regeneration, our recovery ministry. Todd is a licensed professional counselor. Um, I mean, to know Todd is to love Todd. The wisdom, the grace, just the, the person. I mean, you yeah. can't help but love Todd. Six months ago, uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and the doctors gave him six months to 18 months to live. That was a for all of us that know Todd and love Todd, that was such a hard diagnosis. The way that Todd has responded is unbelievable. If you care, we're going to, I'm going to, I did a video uh, interview with Todd just recently. We're going to send that out this week. Uh, so be watching for that. And also a, a link to his blog of what he's written, because it's one thing for me to say, hey, as a Christian, we don't have to fear death until I do. Does it make sense? Until you do face death, and then it becomes like, wow, it's all serious, and, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not serious, but the way that he has approached this is, I believe, the way every Christian can, and that is, this life is not all there is, that we, above all the people in the world, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, have a hope that this life is not all there is. That this life is not all there is, that we have the hope of eternal life. So as believers, whether it's tribulation or persecution, whether it's uh, disease, whether it's tragedy, whatever it is, I, I don't feel like we need to walk in fear. Now, I, again, please understand me. I know it's easy for me to say, right now I currently don't know that I'm facing any kind of immediate kind of thing, so it's easy for me to say that. But I do believe, as believers, that of all the people who have the hope that this life is not all there is, and so, man, if I'm here and I have longer, great, let's make the most of it. But, man, I don't look at death and, and fear it. And I think COVID really brought about a lot of that, what's inside of us, that fear of, and I'm not making fun. I'm not saying anything negative towards that. It's, we're human. And we're, there's also, there's, you know, I have a fear of, of being in the middle of the ocean, like on a boat. I have been on a cruise before. Okay. I know that. And I don't care if I ever go on one again. I don't think it's God's will for people to, no, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't believe that, but <laughs> it, it's just to be left in the middle of the ocean on this thing that could sink is just like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. Right. So it's kind of a fear. Not really. I've done it. So I've done it. So I'm a man. So don't, <laughs> but I don't care that I ever do it again right? I have that kind of like, man, if that's the way I'm going to die, I don't want to die that way. Now, I ride a motorcycle, 
right? And so people are like, you're crazy. You're, this is real. I don't fear that. But anyway, my point is, as Christians, let me say it this way. Let's, let's posture ourselves as believers to have a context, a perspective of the bigger picture. Because I believe that about the Old Testament and God and death and all those things, that God has such a bigger picture than just this life. And as believers, we have such a hope and we can face death like the apostles did, dying as a martyr. They can face death in faith because they believed with all of their hearts as we can that this life is not all there is. Brock, thank you. Can, can you give Brock Yonke a hand? You know, I'll end this way. <clears throat> Growing up uh, in the church that I grew up in, we talked about uh, end times, and I've talked about this quite a bit recently, but we talked about end times a lot. And I remember as a boy, as a kid, petrified, terrified of the end times, that Jesus could come back at any moment and if you weren't ready to meet him, you would be left behind in all the movies that, that came out. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I remember being at school thinking, oh man, if I say a cuss word and, and Jesus comes back, oh man, I want to try to go with everybody else. You know, does that make sense? The, the fear that I had, and, and man, as we close this out talking about death, I don't think in the kingdom, in the church, that fear has ever worked violence, whether it was in the Crusades or fear, it's never really lasted. Now, we can, I mean, every time I saw one of those movies, every time somebody talked about the second coming or Jesus coming, man, I would raise my hand because I want to be ready, right? I want to be ready. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to miss heaven. But that kind of thing doesn't last. It's, it's, a, it's a really poor reason to follow Jesus because I'm afraid of hell or I'm afraid of, of missing the rapture. Or I'm afraid of whatever. Man, I, I think we look at it another way in that Jesus invites us to an incredible journey that is filled with joy, that is filled with adventure, that is filled with challenges, just like everybody else. But at the end of the day, he has forgiven us of our sin past, present, and future. And that invitation for, for, for Jesus to do what he did on the cross, take upon himself our sin, and then rise from the dead so that we could have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever would believe would have eternal life. And those are reasons why we follow Jesus. Those are reasons why we want to live our lives, as we talked about, moving toward the center of God's will, because we want to please the Lord. We want to live the purpose of God for our lives right now, to honor him because of what he's done for us. That's the reason we get corrected, because we want to honor the Lord for what he's done for us, and we want to live the life that, that he's called us to live. So let me ask you the question, though. If you were to die today, if you were God forbid, to, to tragically pass away today, would you be ready to stand before the Lord? If Jesus were to come 
right now, would you be ready to stand before the Lord? Those are valid questions. Those are questions, though, not rooted in, in, in you know, like scaring somebody or, or fear. Those questions are just rooted in love and, and an invitation that God says, if you believe, you'll have eternal life. And Jesus paid the price so that love could be poured over our lives. So if you don't hear anything else today, know that God loves you. But he also has a plan for you. And if you're not ready to meet him, if you're not living that plan, I want to give you the opportunity today to make that decision. Would you bow your heads and across this room and all of our campuses, if you hear me online and you were to really honestly answer that question and you would say, I don't know if I'm ready to meet the Lord. I don't know. But today, I want to be ready. Not because I'm scared of something, but because I am invited to something incredible. And today is the day in which the Lord is calling you. And he's saying, I've got plans for you. So if you're here today, and you would say, honestly, I don't know, but I want to know, would you just raise your hand with me and and just uh, I'm going to pray with you and for you. And just raise it high across all of our campuses to say, John, pray for me, because I want to make sure, yes, that I am ready. Yes, I am ready to meet the Lord. Yes, yes, thank you. Across our campuses, those of you watching online, there's a button to click. Anybody else just say, you know what, John, pray for me. I want to be ready. I want to know that I'm ready. Yeah. God, thank you so much for your invitation. It's an invitation to not a life of legalism, not a life of limits, but a life of joy and peace and love as we walk in your word and in the center of your purpose for our lives. So we repent of our sin, all of us. We repent of our sin and we turn to you and we actually accept the invitation not only for eternal life, but for abundant life right here, right now. Forgiveness of our sin. And we say yes to your purpose for our lives. May your kingdom come. May your will be done right here, right now, in all of our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.